But Father, we've come together once again to magnify the glory of your name as we look at your glory in your word. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us to see with our eyes and understand with our hearts and our minds and apprehend the glory of what you have revealed to us in your word. Thank you, Father, for divine wisdom that we can take and apply to our lives every day so that we can honor you in this life, living in a sinful world, glorifying your great name. And Father, we praise you for it all, and we ask you to bless us now by it, as you have promised, and for your sake we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're not already there, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, and today we'll be primarily in Proverbs chapter 8. When Solomon compiled the wise saying of Proverbs, he was motivated by the same concern shared by every faithful parent. I believe he wanted to protect his children from the self-inflicted pains and personal disasters that were so common among people in his day. No doubt he had witnessed the heartbreak of couples whose son had run away from home to escape his parents' authority. He had heard the bitter weeping of daughters who lamented their unwanted pregnancies. He surely had known businessmen who had experienced financial ruin due to impulsive investing and undisciplined spending. As an artist, the wreckage of foolish living seemed everywhere. It, it seemed to be everywhere he looked. Broken friendships, ruined marriages, abused children, bankrupt businesses, reckless government, like a malignant plague that had infected every member of the human race, the consequences of foolish thinking and foolish living were everywhere. Brokenness, heartache, ruin, death. No community was left untouched, and in every case, the source of the problem was completely predictable. Unbridled lust, unfettered greed, Addiction to pleasure, disdain of authority, love of self, hatred of others, and most of all, a rejection of God. It was just like what we read about in the news every day. In fact, our good friend and television reporter Brandon Utterback recently quipped, as long as there are crazy people in the world, my job is secure. And there are enough. As long as there are broken people in the world, my job's secure. But Solomon, Solomon's take on all of this was not that people are crazy, but that they are inherently foolish. We were born with foolishness in our hearts, like a, like a congenital disease. But by God's grace, however, Solomon had discovered something that many in his day and in ours have completely missed or overlooked, namely, that there is a cure for the malignant disease of human foolishness, and God calls it wisdom. Now, as you know, Proverbs is called the Book of Wisdom, and it was compiled to teach us how to live skillfully and successfully, or as we learned in the first week of our study, it was designed to teach us how to navigate through a sinful world for the glory of God and for our own well-being. 
Solomon is determined to teach us that living well requires a kind of wisdom with which no man is born. It comes to us, as Martin Luther would say, as the external word. It comes to us extra nos, from outside of ourselves. It is not something we're born with. It is something that comes from the outside. It is something that must be sought for, learned, treasured, and obeyed if it is to accomplish its healing and life-giving work in our lives. And so here's the question for this morning. How can I learn to live wisely in a perilously sinful world? How can I learn to live wisely in a perilously sinful world? And I want to offer really three answers to that question. I had intended to offer four this morning, but, I mean, let's be realistic. Let's just keep it to three. So if you want to live wisely in a sinful world, number one, you must understand wisdom's origin. You must understand wisdom's origin. It's important to understand that the wisdom of Proverbs is not merely human wisdom. It's not human wisdom. One of the things that makes it so different and powerful is the fact that it did not originate in the musings of sinful men. It didn't come from the philosophers. It didn't come from the psychologists. It didn't come from the scientific community. In fact, the Bible often warns us about the danger of human wisdom. Turn with me just briefly. Keep your finger here in Proverbs 8 and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And here is what Paul had to say to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, who were so enamored with worldly wisdom. I mean, this was Greece. Corinth is in Greece. This is the, the home of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and all of those guys. And they were so impressed with the world's wisdom, and they were bringing it into the church. And Paul was trying to help them see the dichotomy between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, watch this. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here's what he was saying. Don't trust human wisdom. At least don't trust it for eternal life because it won't get you there. And don't trust in human wisdom to show you how to live. Christ is our wisdom. You want to know 
how to get to eternal life. Do you want to know how to apprehend what God has, has given to you for eternal life? Don't look to the world. If you want to know how to live in this world wisely and productively for your own joy and for the glory of God, don't look to the world. Look to Christ. Look to what he offers because he alone can give us the wisdom that we need. And so you see, man's wisdom leads to a fundamental conclusion about life and eternity that are simply wrong. I remember when I was teaching my worldview class, uh, no, 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 it was, uh, I think I was teaching tapestry history uh, for a few years there to the older kids, and we started studying the philosophers. And I think I've probably told you this before, but uh, we got to the philosophers and the kids were getting confused as to who thought what, and, and I was confused, and how do you keep track of all of these different philosophies from these different men and different schools of thought? And uh, one day I said to them, listen, this is really relatively simple. Here's all you have to remember for the exam. Relative to all of the scholars that we have studied, one thing you need to know, they were all wrong. Every one of them, to the extent that what they thought did not line up with Scripture, they were wrong. Don't look to the world for your wisdom. What they offer, in God's estimation, is wrong. Now, that doesn't mean they don't get anything right. But it does mean that nothing that man has come up with on his own is necessary for us to know God and to live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And that's really, frankly, humanistic wisdom is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Mark Twain famously said, I love this, it's not what you don't know that will get you into trouble, but what you know for sure that just ain't so. And some of you are going to have to think about that for a minute. <laughs> and frankly, this is the bane of all human philosophy and psychology. Every ideologue has his own unique take on what is true and how one should live in the light of that so-called truth. In ancient Greece, for example, the Epicureans taught that, the, that humanity's greatest good was to experience as much pleasure as possible in his few days on earth. On the other hand, the Stoics at the same time thought that man's greatest good is found in self-denial and indifference to all passion and pleasure. In our day, the dominant philosophies seem to be, for example, materialism, and the idea that he who dies with the most toys wins. Or perhaps it's individualism, which believes that the highest good of man is being free to do whatever one pleases. It's the philosophy expressed in logos like just do it, or no rules, just right. But God laughs at such man-made wisdom. It amounts to so much foolishness and only furthers human suffering. The wisdom that Solomon points us to is of a different kind altogether. And so if you're with me at Proverbs chapter 8, I want, you, I want us to see just a portion of this, and I wish we had time to look at all of Proverbs chapter 8. But this entire chapter personifies wisdom as a woman, a woman who has come to offer us her counsel, invites us to receive her wise counsel. And notice what she says about herself. Let's pick up in verse 22. In Proverbs 8, verse 22. 
The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, from everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, where there were no depths, I, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep were fixed, when he set uh, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water was not, would, would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. This is an amazing passage of scripture. Solomon's point here is that true wisdom is far greater than anything that can originate in the minds of men. It's far greater. In fact, he presents wisdom as something that existed before the creation of the world. In fact, to take it further, wisdom is personified here as a co-creator of sorts, a co-creator of the cosmos who was coexistent with God. Now that puts this wisdom in a whole separate class. In fact, in fact, throughout the history of the church, theologians have suggested that this passage may actually be a description of the pre-incarnate Christ. After all, he is the one who reveals God's wisdom to believers, as we see in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And it is he, the Apostle Paul says, that in him are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.23. How much wisdom? All of the wisdom. All of it. That's who Christ is. And that's what wisdom claims to be here in chapter 8. Nevertheless, Solomon, what Solomon wants us to know is that wisdom the wisdom that he is speaking of is the very wisdom of God. It is the very wisdom of God. You want to know how awesome and reliable God's wisdom is? Look at creation. Look at creation. I mean, just consider our solar system. Uh, consider how it, it, it all functions in perfect harmony, in perfect unison, like, like clockwork. I mean, we base our times, our seasons, our days, our months, our years are all based on the movement of, of the, uh, the planetary bodies and the sun. It is so consistent and so perfectly oriented. It screams to us that there is a God. And not only that, but it shows us something of the mind of God, the glory of God. And you know what, beloved? That gives us great hope. Great hope. I mean, here we have this ice storm coming in, right? In a couple hours, I hear it's already out in Millsap. It's headed this way. And the environmentalists will say, you know, weather, you can't predict it because of the, the, the chaos theory. And the fact that um, man is harming the planet and the weather is going to get out of control 
and it's going to kill us all? That's not what God says. That's not what God says. Our God is in control of every piece of sleet and hail that will descend upon us today. The temperature changes are all governed by the mighty hand of our Creator. And so we can glory in it, even as we may fear it, because it points us to the glory of our magnificent God, who by his wisdom ordains all of it and carefully measures it for his purposes and for our well-being. This is what Solomon is saying. This is what Solomon is saying. If you want to know how awesome and reliable God's wisdom is, look at creation. It's never out of control. It's never out of God's control. And here's, here's the conclusion. If God used wisdom when he created the universe, certainly people like us need wisdom for the challenges of life. Moreover, if wisdom co-created the world and everything in it, then it is certainly sufficient to meet whatever challenges you and I may be facing right now. What we need is God's wisdom. What we need is God's wisdom. And that is the appeal of the entire book of Proverbs. Stop trusting in yourself. He who looks to his own heart is stupid. That's what Solomon says. It's the whole message of Proverbs. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to the world. Look to the wisdom of God. And the question is, what is wisdom? And the short answer is this. Wisdom is none other than the mind of God. It is the mind of God. How did Solomon get access to the mind of God? I mean, apart from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can simply say that the mind of God is revealed in the Word of God. The mind of God is expressed in the Word of God. The mind of God for us is written in a book. We don't have to look outside the book. It is the Word of God. Now, keep your finger here in chapter 8 and turn back with me for a minute to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. And listen to this. Verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard, will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. And I wish we had time to read the rest of that. Because the same thought continues what you need is God's wisdom. If you have God's wisdom, you have protection, you have blessing, you have understanding. Stop living according to your own way. Stop getting your wisdom from the culture. Get it from God. Get it from God. He is the source of wisdom because he is the source of truth. And so if you want to live wisely in a sinful world, 
You must understand wisdom's origin. The source of wisdom is the word of God. And secondly, if you want to live wisely in a sinful world, you must believe wisdom's promise. You must believe wisdom's promise. Now let's jump back to chapter 8, chapter 8 of Proverbs, and pick up with verse 32. Verse 32. But before we read that, let me make a couple of important observations about the preceding verses. I want you to notice the time sequence that Solomon gives us here in very specific terms. Watch this, beginning with verse 24. See if you can follow along. I'm really just taking the first word of every phrase, okay? Watch this, verse 24. When there were no depths, next phrase. When there were no springs, verse 25. Before the mountains, before the hills, while he was not yet, while he had not yet made When, verse 27, he established the heavens, when he inscribed the circle, when he made firm the skies, when the springs of the deep became fixed, verse 29, when he set the sea in its boundary, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, verse 30, then I was beside him, and then verse 32, now. I think that's significant. Listen to it again, and I'll just hit the the key words here. When, when, before, before, while, when, 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 and then, and now. Now what? Well, that's a great question. Lady Wisdom has been building and building and building her argument to lead us to the following conclusion. And this is it, verse 35. 32, verse 32 through 35. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Lady Wisdom's conclusion is that those who believe the promises of God are blessed. Those who believe the promises of God are blessed. You see, beloved, there is a cure for the malignant and devastating disease of human foolishness. It is the life-giving, joy-inspiring, soul-healing wisdom of God. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33, just as some examples here, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. That's Proverbs 1, 33. And how about this? Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. I'm just, I'm just hitting two examples of probably a hundred in the book of Proverbs. But turn there, turn to Proverbs 3. I want you to read this for yourself. 13 through 18. This is what Solomon says. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left are riches and honor. 
Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. This is the promise of wisdom. Live my way, not according to your own impulses, not according to your own feelings, not according to the dictates of the culture, but live according to my wisdom. Beloved, that's, that's what should distinguish children of God from the world. Not that the children of God are weird, inherently weird, but rather that we are unique in the sense that the changing ideas of the world, the changing philosophies of the world don't impress us. And we don't easily fall for them. And where psychology is constantly changing its view about what's normal and what's abnormal, uh, what, what disorders and, and, and what's appropriate and right and good, and yet we take our cues from the Word of God. Our wisdom does not come from the mind of man. Our wisdom comes from God. Beloved, do you see the goodness and grace of God here? Do you see the reality that he loves his people? He delights in blessing us and helping us and leading us to green pastures, as David would say, and still waters. He promises us everything we need for life and godliness. But here's the thing. Apprehending what we need from God's word requires that we exercise faith in his promises. We must believe his promises of future grace. We must look at what God promises those who obey him, those who follow him, and choose to believe that rather than the the impulses of my heart and rather than the dictates of the world. God's blessings are for those, not those who merely say they believe his promises, but for those who act on his promises in the everyday decisions of life. Notice what Lady Wisdom says, verse 32. Blessed are those who, what's the next word? Keep. Look at it this time. Verse 32. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Now, now it doesn't mean just memorize. It means to obey. Blessed are those who obey my ways. Look at verse 33. Heed instruction and be wise. In other words, listen to what I'm saying to you, not for the purpose of listening and being impressed, but for the purpose of obeying what I'm saying to you. Obedience is what God is calling for. Not merely profession of belief, but for obedience consistent with that belief. Let's make it real practical. If you believe that Disciplining your son will save him from his own foolishness, as chapter 22, verse 15 says, then you will discipline. If you believe that God delights in a just balance, chapter 11, verse 1, and many other places in Proverbs, then you will be honest in your business, even to your own hurt. If you believe that a gracious woman attains honor, chapter 11, verse 16, then you, as a woman of God, will strive to be a gracious woman. 
If you believe the, that, uh, uh, that the merciful man does himself good, chapter 11, verse 17, then you, as a man of God, will strive to be merciful. If you believe a wise son accepts his father's instruction, chapter 13, verse 1, then you will resolve to be submissive to your father and your mother, by the way. Was that an amen? That was a feminine amen I heard right there. <laughs> Beloved, this is the way of blessing because it is the way of wisdom. It is the wonderful way of wisdom. Now, that doesn't mean it's the easy way of wisdom. Making choices that are consistent with the word of God, but against the stream of your, the impulses of your heart and the impulses of the culture, that's hard. It's hard. Nobody said it was going to be easy. In fact, that's why Jesus told us that all who, who choose to live godly will suffer persecution. And you know what? We live in America, and America is still the home of the free or the land of the free, the home of the brave. We still have much freedom. And you know what? It doesn't cost us much. It doesn't cost much to live a godly life in this culture, not usually. If you want this wisdom, how do you get it? He says, verse 34, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates. This is, this is what wisdom says. If you want what wisdom offers, you must spend time, much time, learning from her. And I love the way she puts this. Um, this is Lady Wisdom in verse 34, chapter 8. And she says, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. Now, what's that about? What's that about? What she's saying is, if you want this wisdom, you have to spend time in the Word of God like a love-struck young man who is always at the door of his beloved. You're always knocking at her door. You're always calling her. You're always texting her. You can't get away from her. Or she can't get away from you, one. Or to change the analogy, Peter says it like this. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word of God so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You may grow. How do you grow? Long for the pure milk of the word of God like a baby like a newborn baby. You know what? When you have a newborn baby, we've done this many times in our family, uh, just take a newborn baby and, I mean, you would never try to feed it a piece of steak. You love steak? I love steak. Babies, they don't get that. They don't like steak. Put a little honey in their mouth, they don't get that either. They don't want that. Don't give me candy. Don't give me hamburger. Don't give me bread. I want milk. And so they cry for milk. They long for milk. It's a perfect analogy. You should long for the wisdom of God found in his word like a baby. If you don't get it for a while, something in your soul like a new baby should, newborn baby should be crying for 
more of the Word of God, more of the Word of God. And you know what? If that's not happening in your life, and you're not pursuing the wisdom of God in His Word, I guarantee your soul is starving. And once your soul starts getting hungry due to lack of spiritual nourishment, it will start looking other places. It'll go to other places. It will start looking for different idols to satisfy itself. It may be food. It may be entertainment. It may be work. It may be some hobby. But, beloved, if you want to live wisely in a sinful world, you've got to do it God's way. You must understand the, wisdom of origin, uh, the origin of wisdom, and you must believe wisdom's promises. And by belief... Not just an intellectual belief, but an obedient belief. Thirdly, if you want to live wisely in a sinful world, you must accept wisdom's invitation. You must accept wisdom's invitation. Just look across the page here, and I'm just touching on some of these things. There's so much, um, there's such a wealth of truth in these two chapters but I want you to look across the page here at chapter 9 because Lady Wisdom is back once again, but this time there is another lady who comes into play. And just as an aside, you've got to pick up on this, this train of thought that's going through, especially the early chapters of the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters, because there is this repeated reference to the unvirtuous woman, the harlot, the strange woman, the prostitute, the adulterous wife. And then you have wisdom offering herself. And wisdom comes as the personification of God himself offering you everything that he has. And Lady Folly, the other woman, comes offering what she has. And so watch this. I'm, I'm going to read this whole chapter. It's short. Chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars, which just means it's a really big house. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. In other words, she's got a banquet already. She has sent out her maiden. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, come, eat of my food and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. And then she says, jump to verse 10. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Verse 13, here's the other woman. The woman folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house, on the seat by, a high, by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. Notice, she's calling to people who are trying to live right. And she says, verse 16, Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. 
And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now, we don't have time to unpack this whole chapter, but notice what is taking place here. There are two women who have built two houses on two different corners of the street, and both are offering a feast. They have prepared a feast, and both are calling out a general invitation for all to come and dine with her. But you must choose between the two. Lady Wisdom invites you to come into her home and satisfy your soul on a banquet of God's wisdom, blessing, and the knowledge of the Holy One. Lady Folly, on the other hand, invites you into her home to satisfy your flesh with easy sex and easy money and every form of lust and sin known to man. By the way, those of you who are discipling others, especially people who, have, who are coming to you for help because of their sin, it's a great passage to go to. Remind them that God has set a banquet for them to come and satisfy their soul on the richest of foods, on wisdom that comes from eternity. And yet, at least most recently, they have decided to walk across the street to listen to Lady Folly and to eat at her table. And the Word of God promises again and again and again, if you eat with her, you will die. You eat with her, you will die. But here, Lady Wisdom continues to call. It's not too late. You can come. You can come to her table and feast on God's delights. The question is, whose appeal will you heed? Let there be no mistake. You will respond to one invitation or the other because your heart was created to, cre to crave blessing, to crave wisdom, to crave delight. And if the Bible is true, you were born with a heart that is bent toward lady folly. The problem is, Trusting her to navigate life through a sinful world is like trusting in a broken compass on a stormy sea in a rudderless raft. You're in serious trouble. And by the way, this is the choice you must make every day, and perhaps several times a day. You're going to have to make this choice. And this is such a beautiful image for us. It's such a, a poignant image for us to keep in mind when we're being tempted. Because God says... The temptation that you see is only half the story. The banquet that you're being drawn into, the banquet of death, is only half. Because on the other side of the street is Lady Wisdom representing her Lord, Jesus Christ. And she's calling and saying, my house is bigger, my food is better, and it will give you life. Trust me. Believe me, obey me, come and hang out at my gate, stand at my doorpost, wait for me to open the door, knock, ask, plead, and you will be abundantly filled. Men, when you're on the computer 
and a tempting image appears, you've got to make a choice. Whose banquet will you sit at to satisfy your soul? And ladies, when you're tempted to gossip or purchase something you don't need and can't afford, you must make a choice. At whose banquet will you sit to satisfy your soul? This is where the choice between living wisely and living foolishly takes place. If you want to live wisely in a sinful world, then you must understand wisdom's origin. You must believe wisdom's promise. And finally, you must accept wisdom's invitation. And by the way, and this was going to be the fourth point, and maybe I have time just to look at it briefly, but turn to me, with me to, to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. The last thing I was going to say was you also need to heed wisdom's warning. Heed wisdom's warning. It was already in chapter 8 when he says, she says at the very last verse, but he who sins against me injures himself, and those who hate me love death. But there's even stronger terminology in chapter 1. Here's what she says in verse 24. Because I called you, And you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. And they will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. What's she saying? She's saying the same thing the author of Hebrews said. That someday, if you continue to reject God's counsel, continue to say no to Christ, continue to say no to wisdom, there will be a day when you come to a place when you want to repent but cannot, though you search for it with bitter tears like Esau. It's a frightening prospect. Heed wisdom's warning. Heed wisdom's warning. But beloved, more importantly, don't just heed her warning, but believe her promises and accept her invitation. Daily, rise up and say, today, I will live by the word of God. By God's grace, I will obey. I will battle temptation And I will worship at the feet of Christ. Now, by way of application, let's let's consider a few things. As you evaluate your life today, what foolish habits have you established that cause harm to your relationship with God, your mate, and with others? Perhaps they're habits of laziness. And the Proverbs say a lot about that. Being undisciplined in your speech, your money, your time. Perhaps you've developed some foolish habits in the area of eating or entertainment that need to be addressed. Secondly, how committed are you to to spend time daily learning God's wisdom from the pages of his word? Do you have a plan for reading God's word each day? Do you study key passages that speak specifically to the issues of your life? I mean, the Word of God has everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. It's here. It's in in His Word. 
Are you watching daily at the gates of wisdom, waiting at her doorposts? Do you desire the pure milk of the word of God? And are you feeding on it daily, regularly? And thirdly, what specific changes do you need to make in your life so that you can grow daily in your knowledge and obedience to the word of God? What specific plan will you follow to make these changes? It's not going to happen by osmosis. And God is not going to do it for you. He will do it with you. He will empower you to do what he has called you to do. But you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so what's your plan? You say, do I need a plan? You better have a plan. You better have a plan. And who will you ask to help you? And when will you begin? These are the kinds of questions you must ask yourself, or you'll never make progress in growing in wisdom. You'll never learn to live a life that pleases the Lord and a life that brings well-being to your own soul in the midst of a sinful world. Beloved, if you desire to navigate life through a sinful world for the glory of God and your own well-being, you simply must be proactive about learning and applying God's word every day. Proverbs 19, 27. Some believe that Solomon wrote this at the end of his life after all of the unfaithfulness that he experienced and committed against the Lord. He writes this, Proverbs 19, 27. Cease listening, my son, to discipline, and you will stray from the words of wisdom. There is an aspect of sin that is like the tide that slowly and perhaps imperceptibly always draws you away from God. And if you're not battling that, then you are drifting. Or to use the old word, backsliding. This is something that we must do every day. When a baby ceases to eat and cry out for the, for the milk, it begins to become malnourished. And those of us who know Christ, we need to be daily at the gates of wisdom, asking God to give us his truth from his word. Beloved, there is a cure for the congenital disease of human foolishness, which causes so much grief and pain in this life. God calls it wisdom, and it is found in his sufficient word. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word, and praise you, Father, that it provides for us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Nothing is neglected. No issue in our lives are not addressed. And so, Lord, we praise you. We give you thanks. We ask now, Father, that you would help us to be careful, to think about the areas of our life that need to change, and to bring God's word to bear on it. And, Father, we Thank you for the results that you will produce, the fruit that will be born in us because of the study of your word. And we ask you now, Father, to help us in that area for your great glory and for our own great joy, we pray in Jesus' name.